Hi, um, I'm Shane. I, I'm part of the New Hope family here. I, I get to open the Bible today. Anytime I do that, I want a few things to happen. I want Jesus to get bigger, the cross to work better, the resurrection to be central, and scriptures to get bigger, not smaller. I hope that's your experience wherever you're watching this. And of course, for everybody here live in the room. <clears throat> First, a story as to why I wrote this message. There's a cultural problem that also is a Christian problem. So if, if your world is Christianity, you think, man, Christianity has a problem. And, and, and they do, but it's not specifically a Christian problem. It's actually a cultural problem. And that is every message you're gonna get on your social media feeds this week is asking you which side you're on. Are you left or right? Are you us or them? Are you labor or liberal? Are you Republican or Democrat? Which side are you on? And if you're not on this side, differentiation is automatically opposition. And built into that cultural idiom is actually a pressure to be known for every opinion we have about every single thing. And if I could do nothing this morning, because I realize that attention spans are certain thing and some people can only hang in there for three minutes. So I'm gonna nail it right here, okay? If I could, if I could set you free from anything for your week, I want you to try something for 30 days. I want you to try to practice the freedom of not having to express your opinion or convictions about every single thing on the earth and see how much breath it saves you at the end of the week. I would get 70 emails a week What's your official position on this? What's your thoughts on this? And I'm like, why must I have a thought on all these things? You don't need one. I don't need one. Look, it's okay to have something and not have to be known for that something. And that's two different things. I have an opinion about climate. I have a conviction about sex. I have a a political opinion. I, I have an opinion about health. I have an opinion about medicine. I have an opinion about what the word end times means, but I don't need to be known for any of those things. Have your opinion about all of it. That's fine, that's fine. Put it on a flag if you want. Just make it a little toothpick flag. Let the main flag be our belief in Jesus as evidenced by our love for our world. Right. Which leads me to, I was in a Q&A. So these um, open, they're calling it open theology discussions. They're basically Q&As, okay? And, and, and good Q&As are entirely dependent upon good cues. And, and so we, we've had some good time. But I get asked every, all over the world, they're having me do this now. It's very, very popular. And, um, and, and I, I get some interesting things. You know, I've, when you do a Q&A with 1,500 people sitting there, you don't know what's coming. And they don't prep you with the questions either. I can tell you that. So, so you don't know what's coming. But I was in a smaller Q&A. It was over 100, but not 200. And this lady um, said, Shane, I'm, I'm quoting now, I'm being tormented at work for my faith. Do you have any advice for me? And I said, look, can I speak bluntly? She said, sure. I said, I don't believe you. She's like taken aback. I said, uh, I believe that you believe you're being tormented at work for your faith, but there's no way you're being tormented. This is Australia. There's no way you're being tormented at work for your faith. You you might be being tormented for how you're presenting your faith, but it's certainly, I said, you mean to tell me that you're showing up every day and you're the first one in and the last one to leave and you're known for the hardest worker with the most integrity and the most compassion and the most generosity and you turn the other cheek and you go the extra mile and you give your tunic and your cloak and you're full of compassion and integrity and generosity and kindness and conflict resolution and you regularly consider other people better than yourself and people don't like you. (laughs) Impossible. See, people don't reject Jesus. They reject the image of Jesus we're presenting. 
And so I talked to her afterwards. She told me I helped her. I talked to her afterwards. And here's, here's the mistake she made. And, I, and I'm thinking we can, a lot of us can identify with this, okay? When we cross the line into thinking Christianity is an argument to win instead of a life to demonstrate, we run the risk of making something untenable. We weaponize scripture against people who have no emotional connection to the scripture and wonder why that's not working. I found out in her life, what the reason she was being tormented at work was she was quoting the Bible about science. She was barking about what the Bible says about every social issue on earth. So instead of being known for her faith in Jesus as evidenced by extravagant love for her fellow man, she was starting to be known for her convictions about every social issue. And that was the problem. And I thought, man, this isn't just a Christian issue. This is a cultural-wide issue. Every message you're gonna get this week is gonna be choose a side. And differentiation is automatically opposition. And I just don't think that's the faith that we um, proclaim that we're a part of. I, I would like to say, to anybody watching online, anybody here, that New Hope affirms that the Spirit of Christ is at work in every single person you will come across this week, even at the most basic level of holding the whole of creation together. And so whether you can name it or not, that doesn't negate Christ's faithfulness to be at work in the heart of that person. And so I, I thought, I, I'm gonna write this to see if I can give us, this is gonna be a good Bible lesson, but it's, it's, also, it's also gonna give us some equipment on how to handle our world and not buy into the lie that, that differentiation is automatically opposition. You don't have to be known for all of these things. I, I think in your week, this week, you're gonna run into three kinds of people. The, the first kind of person that we could run into is some people know it, but they haven't been able to name it. Some people, they know it, but they can't name it yet. We're gonna talk about that in a second. The, the second kind of person are, is the opposite. Some people name it, but when you look at their life, they don't know it. So some people know it, but they really can't name it. They don't know what's going on inside them. They just know something's going on. And, and some people, they name it, but when you look at their life, they hardly know it. And then the third kind of person, some people receive God's sacrifice for them, but their offering back to God isn't anything really good. So I wanna to talk to you about those three things and hopefully we can find ourselves in this story. Because when I look at the Bible, I just ask two questions. One, what happened? Two, more importantly, what's happening in us right now because of what happened? So let's look at that together. Um, there's a guy named Sean Penn. Sean Penn is an actor he was Madonna's ex-husband. And if you don't know his story, eight years ago, he sold everything, everything. His Beverly Hills mansion, everything, moved to Haiti and gave all of it to the poor. And not just his money, he stayed in Haiti to give his life to the poor and the afflicted and to people who could do nothing in return. And so CNN was interviewing him. And they said, what inspired you to do that? And his answer was, I can't name it. I can only tell you it was an internal hum inside of me that was urging me to live my life for other people and I had to say yes. Some people know it. They just can't name it. This has experiential precedents. You have everybody in your life, whether you realize it or not, God's at, God's at work in them and some of them are struggling to name it. 
Um, it's also in scripture. So there's this amazing story in Acts 17. There's this guy named Paul and he goes to a place called the Areopagus um, in Athens. So I wanna read the story and then walk you through it historically. And then let's see what it does to us. If you could bring, uh, if you could bring the, the Acts 17, here we go. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, you people of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. In other words, you believe in God, no problem. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, that's called idols, I even found an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. So one uh, historian said that in Athens, there was more gods than people, right? So they had just gods for everything. You're covering their bases. And then they even have one to an unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very thing you worship. You know it, but you can't name it. And this is what I'm gonna proclaim to you. In other words, I'm gonna tell you this God's name. Keep going. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built with human hands. Keep going. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. The point he's making is, is that God is at work in the hearts of every people, hoping that that hum inside of them, whether they can name it or not, it keeps them on a journey of reaching to the next thing, hopefully to find God and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. And Paul's in a pagan city, and he's, he's affirming that Christ is not far from any single person. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So Paul quotes a famous poet from their world to make his point. Now, What's going on in this story? First, what happened? Now, to understand the story, we have to understand five things. Next slide. These are the five things going on in the story. It's the Oropagus, uh, to an unknown God. There's a guy named Megacles. We're gonna talk about him in a second. There's a guy named Cylon of Athens. And there is a person named Epimenides. Let's go through this in rapid fire succession. First, the Oropagus. The Oropagus was city hall. It was the place in the center of Athens where they discussed policies, where we get the word politics from. It was essentially where you would come and present a way of living that you believed if the whole world converted to it, the world would be better, right? And by the way, that's a question every Christian should be willing to ask. If the whole world converted to how I think about God and I think about the world, would the world be better, right? And if the answer is no, there's a problem with how we're living this thing out, right? And so you would go and you would present it and if, and if they didn't like it, they killed you, right? So it took a... Um, it took a particular amount of bravery to go to the Oropagus and present your point of view. You know, people say, I was brave this week. I shared my faith with Sally in accounting. Okay, not really brave. Sally's annoying and a bit strong, but nonetheless, it, it, it is, it's, not, <clears throat> it's not the Oropagus, right? And so, so Paul goes to the Oropagus and he's trying to present Jesus, but he's trying to find common ground where he can start. And he sees all these idols and there's one to an unknown God. And he's like, okay, we're just gonna pick that one and call him Jesus, which leads to this question, is that okay to do? Like the heresy hunters online, the people making their living, just calling out the errors of other people, which by the way, never, ever, ever give those people clicks. It's disgusting, right? So, so those people would have eaten Paul alive. You just went in and picked an idol and called it Jesus? What, what? Well, you gotta understand the history of the story. So to understand the story, you gotta go back to 660 BC where there was an Athenian king named Megacles. Now, this is gonna sound like a bad Transformers episode, but that's just what they named each other 
there back then. Oh my, Optimus Prime, it's Megacles. I get it, I get it. So Megacles was a king who was particularly horrendous, right? And so there was a farming community in the rural areas led by a guy named Cylon. And Cylon got sick and tired of Megacles' policies enriching the 1% and the 99% were being squashed. So he riled up all these farmers to do something called the Cylonic Revolt. Well, Megacles was backed by a professional military at that time and he squashed it pretty quickly. And he lied. He told the followers of Cylon, if you just surrender amicably, we won't kill you. We'll just make you slaves. The caveat of that was they were already slaves. So it was like, ah, pretty good deal. He lied. They surrendered amicably and he used them as public sport. He fed them to wild animals. He strapped them up in city centers. He gutted them in public. There were stories of pregnant women with babies just hanging out of their bellies, being strapped up as this is what'll happen if you cross us. As an aside, please never ever buy into the lie that the world's getting worse. That is just lazy, lazy, lazy thinking. Oh, you believe how bad this world is compared to what? I get it, I understand, seriously. God has a long way to go redeeming the whole thing, but today is the best day that it's ever been in the history of the world for almost every possible person, right? If you're a woman, it's better today than 1950 or 1850. Is God done redeeming women's rights? No, but it's better than it's ever been. If you're black, it's better today than 1950 or 1850. Is God done redeeming race relations? Not even close, but is it better? Yes. If you need to go to the dentist today, it's better than 1950 or, or 1850. Seriously. The year my grandmother was born, 1922, the average life expectancy was 48 years old. Now it's 84 years old. It's just better and better and better and better and better. Look, nothing's worse than Megacles' day. This was, the, this was the government in charge torturing people in public. That was horrendous. Nothing's worse than then. Nothing's worse than the Roman Empire. Heck, I could make a case almost nothing is worse than 100 years ago, except pollution. Pollution's worse because we invented the internal combustion engine, and it solved basically most of world hunger. Uh, it solved a problem, and then it created one, right? Divorce rates are going up, but that's just because we're living longer, right? That's another reason. The, the, other, the, uh, the other thing that, to be fair, is worse when you die at 32, till death do us part is more doable, right? <clears throat> Seriously, right? The, the other thing that is worse is because of the internet, child exploitation on the internet is worse. But other than those three things, in general, everything's better and more comfortable. Our technology is better. Like imagine if your great-great-grandfather came back from the dead and you had to prove to him the world's worse. It, it just nothing's worse. You got, you got cars, you got refrigerators, you got plumbing, you've, got, you've, you've just got a lot of things going for you. And so people go, well, the government these days, look, I look whatever your problem is with Albo, it ain't Nero, right? <laughs> and, and it's not Megacles. This was like government-sanctioned mauling uh, people. And so what happened is, is he, he finishes this up and, and, and what happens is it's a plague comes on Athens. Now, in those days, they didn't have microscopes. So they thought the gods caused sickness if they got upset. And so what happened is, is the people of Athens thought the gods were upset at Megacles' deception, and so he caused everybody to get sick. The problem is, if you have a thousand gods, you don't know which god is ticked off, right? You have no idea. So here's what they did. They got together at the Oropagus, and they go, well, some god somewhere is ticked off, so here's what we're gonna do. On Saturday at two o'clock in the afternoon, we're ordering a uniform sacrifice to every god everywhere. We'll cover our bases. That was the idea. 
And so they did, and it didn't lift. It didn't work. So now they're at the end of the rope. So when you got to the end of your rope in that day, you didn't have science and microscopes and research. You just went to a Pythian oracle. An oracle was someone in your local area who was thought to have special connection with the gods because they chose to live in a cave, right? And so think a straggly-haired woman living in a cave stirring a cauldron, right? Think Clash of the Titans. And so they went and they consulted with the Pythian oracle. And they said, look, we've sacrificed every god everywhere and it didn't work. And she said, well, there's a god you haven't thought of and it's him you must appease. And they said, what's his name? She says, I have no idea. He's an unknown god. You've got to co-consult with the great Cretan prophet Epimenides. So they go and they go consult with Epimenides. Epimenides was a famous Cretan prophet. He um, is quoted three times in the New Testament, by the way, um, by Paul. And so they go, and they go ask Epimenides what to do. I actually have a photo of Epimenides. Here he is. This is, a, this is like the bus. Next slide. This is like the, that's Epimenides there. He's, he's, isn't he something? He's like, he looks like Uncle Jesse from the Dukes of Hazard, you know, <laughs> or Uncle Herschel from the Walking Dead, whatever generation um, you're from. So this guy gets paid and he goes up to Athens and he sees the carnage and he goes, she's right. There is an unknown God and I don't know him either. So here's what we're gonna do. I need all the sheep pinned up in a stony patch over there. They can't eat. And then I need all the stonemasons here at sunup. So at sunup the next day at the Oropagus, Epimenides stands on the steps of the Oropagus, the same place Paul is, 660 BC, and he prays a famous prayer. I have the prayer written down. I'll go from memory. It'll be close enough. Here's what it goes. Oh, great unknown God, please forgive us for our ignorance of your great name. We just don't know who you are. But if you would show us grace and favor, oh great unknown God, for we are your offspring and in you we live and move and have our being. For you are the creator God. If you would show us what pleases you by whatever sheep grazes normally, that sheep does not please you. But whatever sheep lies down despite being starved, we'll know that is the sheep that pleases you. Would you forgive us, O great unknown God, for our ignorance of you? He says, release the sheep. They release the sheep and a couple sheep lie down. And then he says, he tells the stonemasons right where they lay, I want you to build an altar and inscribe it to an unknown God. And they built the altar and they sacrificed the sheep and the plague lifted. So from that day forward, the Athenians kept all of their gods, but the unknown God was the God of gods, the God Almighty, the creator God, the one holding the whole thing together. Paul says, you've been worshiping him for 700 years. I guess it's about time you knew his name. Some people know it, but they can't name it. I wanna pause and talk about us for a second. If you're here today or watching online, And something has been working on your heart to take a step towards compassion and generosity. And you know that there is an empty feeling inside of you and and chasing things hasn't worked. Being promoted hasn't worked. Making more money hasn't worked. More people knowing you hasn't worked. Being more extroverted hasn't worked. You've tried all these things and and, and you realize, man, there's something I'm missing. And you can feel this hum in, in in your heart. I would, I would affirm that that is the work of the Spirit of Christ in all persons. And I would encourage you, maybe today, to take your next step to trying to name it. And, and, and New Hope, 
is here to help you on that process. Even if it's a one degree shift, we celebrate that. A two degree shift, we celebrate that. A five degree shift, we celebrate that. Because we affirm that the spirit of God is at work in every single person and some people know it, they just haven't been able to name it yet. The second kind of person is some people name it, but they really don't know it. Which leads me to Easter. I've never, I've never done Easter here. Um, maybe, we sh- maybe we should sort that out, actually. Been, well, the next free Easter is 2029, so we'll have to talk about that. But the, it, that's true, by the way. Um, but, but Easter's coming up in, I don't know, four or five weeks. And, and so there's this weird part of the Easter story um, that uh, is strange. Paul, uh, sorry, Jesus is in front of Pilate, and Pilate did something normal. He put the charge of Jesus over his head. That's what they did to every crucified victim. They put what, that, why this is happening above their heads so no one else would do it. That was the idea. Uh, but then he accidentally named something that he didn't know. Check, check this out. Next slide. The, the, bring that scripture up for me. It's Matthew 27, I think. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. Jesus, the king of the Jews. In one place it says, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And, and then it says, and let it be written in Greek, Latin, and Aramaic. Which leads to this question, how big was the sign? This giant billboard over this guy's head. What they would do is they would write it in Greek, which was the common language, and then in the sub-languages, they would put it as an acrostic. Let it be written in Greek, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews, and Latin and Aramaic, which would have been the acrostic. Here is where the complication come in for the Jews. Here's how you say Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews in Aramaic. Next slide. Yeshua. Hanazari, Vamelika, Hayudim, Jesus the Nazareth of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Well, if you write that as an acrostic, above his head, Pilate said, "Here is Yud He Vav He," which, if you don't know what that is, that is the highest name for God in the Hebrew language, Yahweh. Here is Yahweh or Yahovah. Can you see why the priests? went back to Pilate and said, you can't name that. You can't put that over his head. And Pilate's disgusted by this point. He doesn't even understand what they're talking about. He goes, I've written what I've written. It's three in the morning, go somewhere else. (laughs) Are you serious? See, in this story, Pilate's the guy that names God. But when you look at his life, he doesn't know God. Which leads me to us. These are the people we do not want to be. Jesus said, beware of people who wear their tassels too long. Tassels in their world was away in a hodgepodge multicultural place that had been taken over many times. You would wear these garments with tassels on it to identify yourself as Torah observant Jews. And then some people took it really far and wore their tassels that drug on the ground. In other words, Jesus is saying, beware of people who are too loud about how spiritual they are. Beware of people who name it too loudly. Now look, when we read the Bible, we always read ourselves in as the good guys. We're always the people that get it. We're never those people. Let's just pause and consider we might be the people with the plank in our eye here. Have we ever been guilty of naming our faith outside of demonstration of love? If you're like, what are you talking about? Okay, cross around the neck, fish on the car, 
If you wanna go really far, Christian t-shirt, his pain, your gain. Or worse, social media. Share this meme on your Facebook wall if you're not ashamed of Jesus. Ah! Like we, we just... We just sung a song there, like, I speak Jesus. And look, I'm not mad at it. Because I know that the songwriter understood, and hopefully everyone that sings it understands, that speaking Jesus in our world is, in, is entirely a function of a demonstration of love for our world and need meeting. Like if someone says, I'm hungry, and you go, well, Jesus... Hey, I'm thirsty. Jesus. You know? Hey, I need medicine. Well, Jesus. Um, Speaking Jesus to a hungry person is giving them food. To a naked person is giving them clothes. To a sick person is getting them medicine. Speaking Jesus. And if we're not careful, what happens is when we visualize Christianity as entirely an articulation of what we believe instead of a demonstration of how we live, we run the risk of being people who name it loudly, but when we look at our lives, we don't know it. You don't want to be that person. Some people know it, but they can't name it. Some people name it, but when you look at their life, they don't know it. Some people receive God's sacrifice for them, but their offering back to God is not very good. There's this odd part of the Easter story um, that it's, if, if you read the crucifixion thing, like the crucifixion narrative, uh, like Easter's hard on pastors. I mean, in one sense, it's this celebration of death doesn't get the last word. And in another sense, it's a time that comes around every year and you only got one story to preach from. And, it's, it's, and, and the people want something fresh, you know? And so, it, so you, but if you... <laughs> But if you, if you read the story, like, it's, it's, it's harrowing. This is why, like, The Passion of the Christ was, like, the, the highest rated, the, the highest uh, grossing R-rated movie ever, right? And, um, and the reason it was R-rated was because they, they literally tortured this guy to, to death. And so we all saw The Passion of the Christ because it was, like, Christian thing to do. And, and, but none of it, all of us walked out of the thing going, I ain't watching that again, right? Like, like I, I know everybody's seen The Passion of the Christ. I know no one that saw it twice, right? Because you just wouldn't look at it that long. Um, it, it, actually, crucifixion was banned by the Roman Empire in the 400s for being too cruel. So 400 years after Jesus, they're like, yeah, we probably shouldn't have been doing that to people. You know, it was, that bad. It was, a, it was an, an intent to totally dehumanize someone. You, you peg them to sticks, 18 inches off the ground. People mock, spit, scourge, throw things, and you're defenseless, you're naked, you're, you're, you're beaten half to death. It was a total attempt to dehumanize a human being. And then in, at the end of Jesus' crucifixion, um, he expresses a need. He's thirsty. And then the narrative kind of changes. Someone goes, we'll get him something to drink, which makes no sense like what they should have said is, is, oh, you're thirsty. Make your own spit, son of God. That's what you would expect. You would expect something humiliating, something horrible. But not only do they get him something to drink, they get him alcohol, which would have made it better, right? And so the whole thing doesn't make any sense. Here's the account in scripture. Um, next slide. This is the, the, the second Matthew 27. Uh, immediately, one of them ran 
and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. What an odd, odd story until you understand the history behind it. I took a course in first century Roman history. I did so because I enjoy learning things. I also thought it would help me with the Bible, particularly Paul as he was writing to Corinth and Philippi, and I just thought it would be helpful. Session six of the term was on first century Roman hygiene. I I actually thought about missing it because that sounded boring, but I'm like, ah, I'm in it. Let's just go for it, you know? And if you need any kind of convincing that the world's better today than ever, just go read a book on first century Roman hygiene. If we woke up tomorrow in first century Galilee, we would throw up in 30 seconds and we'd be dead in a week. Um, It was just horrendous. The, The Romans did horrible things to the places they conquered, like namely enslaving everybody, calling them all less class, uh, raping, terrible thing. Uh, they crucified people. Uh, they, did, they just did horrible things, but that, they didn't do all horrible things. They also brought technological advancements to those areas that they didn't have before, like plumbing. So, so when, when the Romans came into Galilee, they're like, are you a bunch of barbarians? Like in first century Galilee before Rome, um, if you had to poop, you, you pooped, every house had a, poop, had a designated poop bowl, Right? Now, don't, don't think too hard about that. You have a designated poop bowl in your house. It's just called a toilet, right? But they, they you know, they, and you would, you would poop in the bowl and then, and then you would throw it out, right? And so it's still that way in some really third world places, but that's what it was at first. So, so the, the Romans showed up and goes, what are you, a bunch of barbarians? We're bringing Roman technology, which is very basic plumbing to your world. And so they put these Roman bathhouses in the middle of these communities to give them somewhere to go to the bathroom. Keep, keep in, well, I have a picture of this. It's, it's not gross. It's, a, it's just a, it's a picture, an artist rendition of, of this. This is a, a first century Roman, uh, this is a rendition of it. And by the way, these weren't gender specific either. Um, they were very less embarrassed about this than us. They're just happy not to be pooping in a bowl, to be honest. Um, you, get, you know, you get, they're, they're in close quarters. They ate a diet of largely whole grains and beans. You know, they're conversating. Hey, what'd you have for lunch? Well, you're fixing to find out. Is that, is, it would have, you know, it would have been that, right? Now, now, the problem is in that scenario, how did you clean yourself? There's no toilet paper. How'd you clean yourself? You had four options. One is fig leaves, but they weren't readily available. Um, and and you had to, so you had to collect it beforehand and you don't wanna be the weird guy carrying toilet paper around, you know? The, the second option was moss, which was more available, but, but way more messy. It had bugs in it and stuff. The, the more common option was your bare left hand. So you, you would use your bare left hand, um, you'd wash it off and that was life, right? The world's getting better, by the way, which is why, which is why in the first century, you would never come up to someone and go, how you going? right? That would have been an insult. You're extending your unclean hand. Oh, 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 by the way, if you were deemed as less class than someone else and they had a problem, they wouldn't slap you with their right hand. They would slap you with their left. It was like, it was like hey, you're not even worth my clean hand. I'm going to hit you with my poo-poo hand, right? It was a, um, it was a, it was a racial, it was a racial slur in violence. It's you're less than me. Remember what Jesus said? He said, if someone slaps you on your right cheek, well, to slap someone on their right cheek, you gotta use your left hand. He says, just turn the other cheek. In other words, don't escalate the violence. Just only present the side of you that makes them address you as an equal. It's brilliant stuff, right? So, 
uh, from a first century rabbi. So that, that was option number three. Option number four was beggars. So the lowest class, class nine, they started bum wiping services. And so what they would do is they would offer their services so you didn't have to dirty your hand. And what they would do is they would go to the seashores and they would, um, they would, they would collect sponges and they'd put them on these sticks so, so that they could be far from it. And if you wanted to use their services, you would just call, lean forward, you'd call them over and they'd come up behind you and <laughs> they'd get in there real good, you know? And, and the problem was is, how did you sanitize the sponge? So, so what they would do is they had a bucket in every Roman bathhouse with undrinkable wine and vinegar and you'd swirl it in the bucket which would sanitize it to first century standards. If you look at this photo, the guy on the right there, if you look careful, he's holding a sponge on a stick in his hand. Um, so he's gonna take care of it himself. Um, here's, here's the next picture, next slide. So here's a picture of how it worked. Um, this was you know, the, the ladies showing you how it worked in Pompeii and whatnot. And if you look down on the right there, it says a sponge stick, the, equivalent, the ancient equivalent of toilet paper, well known from literary sources. So, Jesus is helpless on a cross and he says, I'm thirsty. And somebody there was cruel enough to say, I know what to get him to drink. And they found a sponge on a stick soaked with sour wine and vinegar and lifted it to his head. What was that? That was the public toilet butt wiper. And what was Jesus's response? Forgive them and it is finished which is why any message of Jesus that's like, if you don't do something, Jesus is gonna, no, no. You can have a 25 foot cross over the top of your building and still miss the whole point of it. The whole point of it is Jesus is giving his life for this man regardless. And that guy's offering back to Jesus was a dirty Roman sponge. Some people know it. They just can't name it. Some people name it. They don't know it. Some people receive Jesus' offering for them, but their offering back to Jesus is not a sweet-smelling incense. It's a dirty Roman sponge. Which leads me to a few questions. Because sermons aren't meant to be agreed with, nor disagreed with. They're meant to be wrestled with for application. I'm gonna ask a few questions, and I'm gonna throw the band that was just up here. I'm gonna throw you a curveball. Would you guys come back up if, you're, if you can? Um, I, I have an idea that I, hit me. So ne next slide. Um, when ministering in a multicultural context, can we assume that Christ has been at work before we got there? See, this is the mistake. We're bringing Christ to Crow's Nest. No, Christ has been at work in the people of Crow's Nest since before the foundation of the world. You're gonna go and help people name what's already been going on in them. Otherwise, we'll see them as us and them, in and out instead of us as them. For in him we live and move and have our being. For we are not far from any of, he is not far from any of us. It's that, it changes the way we speak about people. Uh, uh, let's, let's say it uh, this way. Can we help them name what God has been up to all along? Can we help them name that? Uh, next slide. Cassette. I realize in English that looks like the word cheesed, but it's not, it's cassette. Uh, cassette is a word that defines when God treats you not as you deserve but as you're worth it's called love or loving kindness 
Love is a function of how we treat people as they are worth despite what they might deserve. And how far does the love of God revealed in Christ go? In this story, Jesus expressed love to the guy that lifted the sponge. How much further does he have to go to show us he loves us? Next slide, let's say it this way. If our life is an incense offering to Jesus, what does it smell like? Most of us have in some way received Christ's offering to us. That's not my question. My question is, does my life's offering back to him, does it, does it smell sweet? Or does my anger, my lust, my pride, my, 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 my greed, my tendency to hoard, my tendency to look down on people, my tendency to call people idiots, does that, like you've you received all this and your offering back to me smells like that? Next slide. Jesus has given his life for us. What we're offering be back to him. I wanna give us a moment of contemplation and reflection. Uh, If you just hear this and go and do nothing with it, it will do nothing. But I think there's a real moment here. I can kind of sense the atmosphere in this room that the Holy Spirit's moving across us and, and urging us to shift even at one or two degrees. And we would honor any of that. So, so I'd, like you to, I'd like you to just close your eyes and cancel the white noise of the week. And actually just for a second, don't think about the other people who should be listening. Ask yourself about your plank. I'm gonna, I'm gonna lead us in a couple prayers and I'm gonna invite you to pray those prayers in your heart. The first one is Lord Jesus, may no one ever reject you because of the way I'm presenting you. If you're willing to pray that, Why don't you just pray that? I'm gonna give you a full 30 seconds to think about this. Um, Holy Spirit, would you you reveal to me the part in my life that is not a great offering back? Would you just reveal to me the part of my life that's not a great offering back? And with no shaming and no guilt, just ask the Holy Spirit, would you give me the courage to shift this in my life? The third invitation is this. If you're here today and you know that the Holy Spirit of Christ is is urging you, it's moving your heart to, to just take your next step in your journey. Whatever that next step might be, we honor that. And if you're here today and you'd like to say, Shane, I wanna take my next step on my journey. I might not even be able to name it, but if someone can help me name it, that'd be great. But whatever the name of that next step is, I I want to take that. And I'd just like you to pray for me to have the courage to do that. If that's you, would you, no, everybody's looking down anyway. Nobody's looking around. Would you just slip your hand up in the air? I, I see you over there. That's an incredibly good thing to do. Taking your next step in your journey and there and there and there and there and there. And there and there and there. I, I, like whatever that might look like, I don't even know if I can name it. I don't even know if I need to yet. I just, I wanna take my next step. It's gotta be 12 hands in the air. And that's fantastic. So, so is, what's gonna happen is um, somebody that's on team here um, is gonna, in the, in the coffee time and whatnot, they're gonna approach you and ask, them, they're gonna give you some instructions of, as to what to do when, when when this part is over. 
Um, without anybody leaving at all, because I think there's a real holy moment for us here. Um, would you stand with me? Um, you've been sitting long enough. And, and I, I just want us to come back to what is our offering back to Jesus? And the only appropriate offering to Jesus is to see the cross as a throne. That the way you take over the world is not with violence, but to serve, even to die, to take on its common enemy and then defeat that. And there's one response to that, one response that's appropriate, and that is surrender, it's worship, and it's exaltation. I'm gonna give us a moment to do that. So Lord, seal something in us this morning that we never go away the same. Give us the courage to act, and may our life be a sweet-smelling incense. Amen.